welcome to the second series of the Reworked podcast, brought to you by diversity consultancy EW Group. I'm Rachel Wilson, and every fortnight I'll be speaking to CEOs, HR leaders and workplace activists about the steps they are taking to reform and rework organisational culture. Sharon Inko Taraya is one of those inspiring people who has turned her passion for staff networks or employee resource groups into her specialism. I'd highly recommend her 2015 book, The Incredible Power of Staff Networks, which is a go-to guide for setting up, getting buy-in and making a success of staff networks. Sharon now works across the UK and internationally as a sort of staff networks guru. In 2011, Sharon received an MBE for her services to the UK government and her work in the faith community with young people. Well, hello, Sharon. Hello. Thank you so much for coming to the Reworked podcast. Pleasure. I'm really excited to have you have you with me today, <laughs> the um, the guru of staff networks. We were just laughing about that. Yeah. Not sure how we feel about being called a guru. But... Yeah, that sounds like a big responsibility <laughs> from my perspective, but yeah. But you are a specialist in this area, um, and you have been for several years, that's right, isn't it? So yeah. I've got your book here in front of me, which we'll link to in the, the episode notes as well. So The Incredible Power of Staff Networks. Yeah. And you published this four years ago. Four years ago, this uh, yeah, four years ago, in yes, last month. Okay. Yeah. So January twenty fifteen. Great. Well, congratulations. Thank so, you. Um, how did you? How did you find you? This is a very specialist area to be sitting in. And, it is and to be a guru of. So, how did you find your? What's your story? So, the 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 short version of the story is that um, my background is the civil service. And um, I literally grew up in the civil service. And the, it, one, one of my jobs where I was an HR manager, there was a particular challenge around different groups. And the, the organisation at the time said to me, oh, we would like you to start a staff network. Now, bear in mind, at that time, I had no concept of what this was. Mm. And I was, I, I was totally confused. I, I thought, <laughs> oh, what, you want to stop being a HR manager and run a network? And they're like, no, we want you to do it into, in addition to your day job. I was mm. like... Do I get extra money for this? No. I'm sorry, I don't see, I, I don't see what the point is. So yeah. I was constantly fighting this thing. But eventually... What year I, would that have been? Sorry this would have been around in the late 90s. Right. Um, so networks would have been going for mm. a while in some, in some guys, but I was completely oblivious to it. And so I did a bit of... You know, I spoke to some people, and I understood the concept. And so I thought, OK, I'll give this a go. Um, But I do recall, even at that time, saying, is there a book I could read to make sure that I'm doing this right? Because we had no clue. Mm. Um, But eventually, a team of us formed together, and uh, we came up with some things we'd like to tackle, um, some challenges we want for the organisation. And somehow, we got through two years making a little difference. We We made some difference, but it was the strangest two years of my life because I just didn't know are we doing this right there was this constant checking um, so that was my first experience and it was an enjoyable one if not slightly you know concerning um, and then throughout my career I was involved in networks mm. uh, however it was the last stint in the civil service that really made me think there's something important about what these groups do mm-hmm. And the book still hadn't... There was still no book. Mm. So 10 years on, I was still looking for this book and it still didn't exist. Um, (laughs) But I had sufficient experience and knowledge and I'd learnt lots from others. And I thought, there's something missing in the market. People need to understand 
how to run things effectively. And we had tremendous success in our network, and because of that, I thought, well, you know, maybe there's something that we could do here. And, you know, my sister circle said to me, well, go and write that book you were constantly asking for. And I thought, hmm. And so that's how it came okay. about. So it's just me a little bit stumbling it around in the dark, then getting some experience, then learning from others. Um, and so when I did pull the book together, I spoke to a vast range of chairs and organisations across sectors just to find out what their experience was like. And before you know it, this yeah. book was done. Yeah. Fantastic. So, so yeah, that's how it started. So, yeah, so it was an, quite an organic process. It was very it? organic <laughs> and it was quite, you know, I, I did rebel. I was like, no, I don't want to do this. But I can see the, the beauty of, of, of an effective network. Mm. So, um, yeah, so the beauty. So that, the was power, not, that was meant to be the short network. version, but it ended up quite long, sorry. Um, so what, when a staff network is, is working at its absolute best, yeah. what... How would you, you know, summarise what that power is? How, do, what does it bring to an organisation, in your opinion? So, when a network is operating effectively, there's things that happen on every level. So, on the basic level, with their members, they they feel supported. They feel they can go to the network and get signposted for various things. Mm-hmm. Um, they understand that there are tools available to them that the network has provided. So, they really see the network as a resource they can plug into, get charged up, and carry on. Um, but there's also a social element to that as well, friendships formed and so on. So that's on a basic level. Mm-hmm. But on an organisational level, uh, an effective network is able to say to the organisation, in a rather, in a critical friend type of way, you know, if you go ahead with this policy, this is the impact it's going to have. So we're, we're, we're on the lookout for this organisation because we, we work here, we care about it. And so you need to think about changing this particular policy or considering this Mm. so they're almost bringing in their external intelligence their external connections and really trying to influence the policy the procedure the systems of the organization so they're not just there as a as a as a standalone group that's pointing problems they're there as business business critical um, a viable resource mm-hmm. coming up with great solutions mm-hmm. and really helping to advance the business. Mm-hmm. That's when you see a network o- operating at optimum level. Um, and if you want to take it up an even an, an, you know, another step, it's when they start saving money. They, or they start making money for the organisation. They come up with a, a device that's far cheaper than any other supplier's giving them and you know, it's saving hundreds and thousands of pounds. Mm. Who wouldn't want such a group in their organisation? Absolutely. So that's what I've seen happen at various levels. Okay. You know, they have to be hitting different markers in order to say, you know, we're at the top of our game. Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing that networks need to realise is that game could easily slip down the minute there's a change of, you know, a chair or a change of leadership or the organisation goes through a change. So it's... it's mm. Up and down, up and down, just like organisations are. Yeah, exactly. Well, I was going to say that obviously a staff network can't feel its power and its beauty. Mm. It can't operate at those, those sorts of levels you're describing unless the organisation is providing it with the structure absolutely. to do so and their autonomy to do so. Absolutely. Um, that, you're absolutely right. So what would you say are the key things that an organisation needs to bear in mind in order to, give, to create a staff network that has that kind of, can do those incredible things? I think, you know, when you go to these, um, you go to the, the, the organisations on their websites or their brochures, they're all very glossy and they talk about diversity and inclusion and belonging. And that's great. 
Um, but behind that, there has to be an understanding of the remit of the network. So they're not an extension of HR, and they're not a pseudo-trade union, and they're not there to do the job of the corporate pillars, but they are a voice. Um, and they can be an influential voice, but they do need to be invested in. And that's not just to say a budget allocation, that's investing in their capacity, their capability, understanding that these are leaders, this is part of your talent pipeline. So it's about feeding that pipeline sufficiently so they can be effective. So not setting them up to fail, Mm -hmm. but setting them up to thrive. Um, So the organisation needs to be prepared to listen to them, be accountable, to be challenged, and provide some challenge at the same time. So it's a partnership rather Mm -hmm. than the management at the top there and the networkers at the bottom. No, it has to be... You have to see them as a as an equal partner in in how they share some of their concerns. Um, so certainly investment on a, on a wide range of areas, and I think the organisation needs to be they need to understand that networks exist by their very nature. They're about difference, so it's about an acceptance that we are different, um, rather than be afraid of that. Let's find out how we can exploit that to the max. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has, they have to be, it has, the organisation needs to be mature in its understanding that the more diverse and inclusive they are, the more productive it is. Mm-hmm. And if I'm a CEO of a business, I want optimum production. I want it at the highest level possible. Um, and failure to do so, you know, there's so many things that goes against that so absenteeism presenteeism sickness goes up all of these things the profit leaks that people neglect to think about so you know um, when people don't understand the value of networks I said okay let your network stop doing what they're doing let them stop doing what they're doing and let's see how the organisation goes Mm -hmm. so the test for the network is that's a test for both the network and the Mm organisation if the network is really good but the organisation doesn't want to acknowledge that then they will soon find out. If the network is really poor, <laughs> then no one's going to miss it. Yeah, no. And if that's the case, I'm saying to the network, what are you doing? Mm. So, um, yeah, so a certain level of investment, be prepared to understand, um, raise your maturity levels in terms of, uh, it's not just a tip box exercise, it's not this, it's a strategic imperative, I think. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, do you think all networks should have a budget? You mentioned a budget a minute ago. Do they all need to have a little bit of spending power to maybe to invest in themselves and I think networks need to have access to resources Mm. sometimes that's financial sometimes it's a cost code sometimes it's access to rooms sometimes it's just time off to do the business of the network Um, for the more uh, mature and successful networks it's all of those things but then they've already proved themselves in a way so I certainly think that investment is necessary whatever that investment looks like to the organization then that's what you're going to plow into your network so Mm -hmm. if you've got a group of people who are working on i don't know you're starting a new project team looking at a piece of work whatever you would plow into that project team i would suggest you do the same for a staff network you don't just say oh it's not part of the core business Mm. it is part of the core business so, um, yeah, so whatever investment looks like to them, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, okay. And in terms of... Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, it does, yeah. It's, it's going to be whatever makes sense for that particular business. Um, you mentioned some structure a moment ago. How much structure do, does an effective staff network need? I mean, some, some 
organisations I know have will have like um, um, terms um, and job descriptions for their network members mm-hmm. and um, yeah, a proper structure for that as a little as a entity. I, I find that um, networks usually emulate what happens in the rest of the organisation. Yeah. So if you're working in somewhere like the civil service or the NHS, which is very process driven. Um, they will have those type of frameworks in place, like a really strong terms of reference, 1.1, and all of that. And they'll also have um, role descriptions and so on. Um, In other organisations, it's not as tight. Mm. It's a bit looser. However, I do think with networks, because they can be quite time poor, um, because they're competing with other priorities in their day job, it's important for them to have a strong structure as to why they exist, what they're trying to do. So those terms of reference, blueprint, call it what you will, that does need to be in place because it helps to keep the network on track. Role descriptions, I certainly think that role should be allocated for the core team leading on the work so that you can be accountable for that. And... Overall, you do need to set your stall out so people know what, what the, what, what, who are you and what you're doing and why should I get involved and what's the impact for me, what's in it for me. Um, I think networks need to do that. They're not very good. Not all networks are very good at doing that. So this is who we are. This is why we exist. Mm. This is why it's important. This is how it's going to help you. This is how it's going to help the organisation. And this is what will happen if we don't do what we're doing. They're not very good at setting that out. And I'm always saying come on, sell yourselves, you know, so they do all this great stuff but nobody knows because they, mm. they just move on to the next thing. Is that particularly networks that have sprung up organically rather than those that have been... Except that's, there's kind of, in my mind, there's two different types of networkers. There's those that, those that have just come out of a kind of a conversation around in the kitchen, around <laughs> the table, should we do this? Let's, yeah. you know, let's, let's, yeah, let's yeah. do this. And then others that have been... Maybe it's come out of a diversity strategy and it's been advertised internally and people have been asked to join a network that's had a more structure. Would you say, would you say there's, that's right, there's two different types? or I would say there's two different types per se. I would say they may start at different places, um, but um, I'm not really... I think I like networks that start organically because... <laughs> because I did that. No, but because it's, it's not just... It's the learning along the way that, that's really rich and you learn a lot about yourself. So I think, yes, you're right, there are some networks where there's usually a challenge for a particular group and then they get together and yeah. say, oh, let's, we, we need to do something about this. Mm. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I always say to those groups, though, <laughs> don't, while this may be the challenge now, don't just keep staying there think a bit more strategically so that's Mm. my only concern about groups that start because they're addressing a particular problem Um, so that could be at the heart of what they do but they can't just stay there they have to keep moving forward the the Mm. network that starts through a diversity strategy the the downside of that type of network starting is because is is that it may be seen as a coming from above Mm. you know so and then that then people start thinking they just want to look good you know, is it a tick boxy thing? Then people are doubtful and sceptical and they don't want to get involved. So there's challenges facing networks regardless of how they start. Um, so I, the question that I have to go in, which, however they started, is what's the exam question? What is it you're trying to achieve? 
because it could be that a network is not the, the right forum to do that. Mm. And I, I will happily put my hand up and say, you know what, this is not for a network. You need another forum to address this. You know, I am passionate about networks. I am an advocate for them. But if it's not right, then it's not right. No, because like you say, it can quite often be... If there isn't clarity of purpose, then people can actually... If, especially if it's come about organically from people who are a little bit disgruntled about something or have had certain experiences which, for understandable reasons, have left them feeling quite sore, then they might just get more, more angry Absolutely. and more disengaged. And those emotions will play through at every meeting. Yeah. Every meeting. And even if something has nothing to do with that particular problem, it will relate back to that. Yeah. And that's when there's a danger of it slipping into a moaning, whinging mm. thing, which people don't sort of want. Talking shop. Yeah, they don't want anything mm. to do with that. If you're busy and you've made time out to go to a network meeting and people are moaning, you're like, really? So my challenge to networks who find themselves in that situation is don't, don't insult the network space by calling yourself a network. Take yourself off to the pub, have a coffee, get it off your chest, then come back and let's talk about a strategy to deal with the challenge. You know, I'm very clear about that. Yeah. So, um, and I think because I understand how networks can be effective, if I did anything less, I would be failing networks. Mm. If I allowed mm. them to carry on with that, I'm saying, don't, don't, don't do that. Just mm. stop. I acknowledge the problem. I get it. Let's talk about how we can work through a solution. Mm. Great. So that's my thing. <laughs> yeah. Honesty. <laughs> Honesty. <laughs> tough love. Well, call it what you will. Yeah. But I'm like. Time is precious. So quite a lot of networks in the last few years have developed a model, I think, where they have a sponsor. Mm -hmm. That's quite a usual Mm -hmm. structure for a network to have a a very senior person who is the sort of figurehead of that network. How important do you think that 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 role is? Absolutely, uh, incredibly important. Uh, But what's more important is that the sponsor understands his or her role. And it's not just about turning up, you know, at Black History Month and, you know, eating some rice and peas and saying, yeah, it's great, we've got a network. It's, it's, it's not that at all, in fact. Um, it, it has to be... It's about being prepared to stretch their understanding, being prepared to be a student and learning from the network, learning about their experiences with the aim of influencing at the top of the organisation. So whenever they are in their discussions about whatever just remembering, oh, how is this going to impact this group of people if we go ahead with this? Do you know? So they're almost impact assessing. Mm, I was just thinking about impact assessing. Yeah, that's what they're doing. They're almost impact assessing on the go. Um, And that's because they have a different lens to look at things. Um, So they're there to, to use their sphere of influence to promote the network and what they're doing, but also to educate colleagues and their peers and and to challenge them to think differently. But what I do find in some networks, especially if the, the lead of the network is fairly junior and they've got access to this board member, which they probably would never get access to in their day job, they can become a little bit starstruck or they can slip into their, you know, their, their organisational role. And I'm saying, I understand that, I recognise that, but we have to look at networks as this resource where the chair or the vice chair, you are like the chief exec and you have a board and you are meeting with a, a peer and you are coming together. I, I know it sounds a bit full on, but in terms of the mindset that you have to adopt, because you have to think strategically 
And when you're challenging your board sponsor, you're challenging from a strategic mm-hmm. perspective. Um, so that's what I'm just saying about networks. I'm all about networks, raising the level, raising the bar. Um, so sponsors are very important. They need to be clear about their role mm-hmm. and networks need to be clear about their role. They're not yeah. there to come to everything. They're there to be used. Um, <laughs> sounds really, I sound really hard. Just use or abuse. <laughs> no, but they're there to be used at crucial points yep. to apply pressure um, at, you know, at those times when networks need them or need to get a strong message across. Mm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all for sponsors. I had a great sponsor, um, and I made sure he was very clear about what I wanted. And he, he made it very clear what he was expecting, and we, we had this, this great partnership. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. And do you agree with me that, um, in many ways, a sponsor who is not necessarily a member of that group of people who are the network, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a women's group, who's not, you know, a male sponsor of a women's group yeah. can be a very powerful Absolutely. Thing. In fact, I encourage networks to, to find someone that's not their, not part of their constituency, yeah. as it were. Because, again, that, it helps the understanding. It helps, um, it helps build empathy and it helps um, just for them, for network members as well, to be exposed to a different way of thinking, you know, because sometimes we can be quite tunnel-visioned because of our experience, and that's understandable. But if we want to tackle things at a more strategic level, we almost need to get on board with where this person's at. Mm. So, yeah, I'm a strong advocate of, of you know, if you've got a BME network, to have someone who's not from that, from that community. Like we said, women's network, to have someone else. Or gender networks, as they're moving towards now. Mm. Um, yeah, and so on. Yeah. I think that's really important. Um, yeah. Well, that kind of leads me through to a, another question that I had for you, which I, I don't suppose there's a right or a wrong answer to this. I think it's an interesting debate. So in, in our experience, businesses are moving towards more of an intersectional approach to diversity. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we accept that you and I aren't just women mm-hmm. across this table. Mm-hmm. We are lots of other things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we sort of square that off in terms of networks at, you know, historically, quite often they have been single-strand yeah. themed networks. Yeah. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on that versus versus the intersectionality of? I think it diversity? depends on the on the need of the group where you're at. So, for some groups, having that sacred space, shall we say, where they can talk about things pertinent to their community is so important. Mm. Um, and the, and the reason why I say that is because there has been. Excuse me. Occasions where people have tried to share an experience, and they've been doubted. Mm. And when you're when you're sharing something that's quite raw, and someone doubts or questions that, you you, you don't want to go there again. No, and it has so to be you, a safe space. Yeah. Doesn't so it? you 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 pull back a little bit. So I think some groups need that safe space, it's particularly for example LGBTQ communities where they may not be out, they may not, they're not ready to disclose their sexual orientation, but they still need support navigating their journey. Again, they may need that safe space to communicate that. So, so that I have no problem with networks who want to operate as a single strand. However, what I do have a problem with is when they refuse to work with other networks because they just don't want to. I, I don't think that's helpful. I think there needs to be... I think the more collaboration there is amongst networks, the richer it can be. Um, and, and it's just 
being intentional about it, you know, deliberately being intentional mm-hmm. about, okay, so what, what are we going to find this... I mean, one of the things I said to an, um, uh, some networks last week was I want you to find one objective for 2019 that you're all going to work together on and you're going to deliver that to, as a collective, you know. And they were like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? And I'm thinking, really? You're struggling with this? Come on. Um, and so it's just to get them out of their own, you know, get them out a little bit more and thinking about different ways of doing things. So hmm. I like... I don't mind the single strands, but I do want. I do think there's value in them working more collaboratively. Yeah. And one of the things around this, the national day for staff networks, I say, don't just celebrate as a single network. Get all your networks together because then you can show the value that you're adding as a community in the organisation. Mm. And when you start to list everything, wow, it's it's powerful stuff. So, um, yeah, collaboration is key for me. I think it's so important. Mm. Mm. I love that phrase, a network of networks. Network of networks. So I think that's, that's probably maybe a good, helpful way of thinking of it. You know, you could take lead people from each network and kind of create this Uber. <coughs> the Uber, Uber network. network. Yeah. Um, I mean, and some, there are some organisations where they have just the one network that covers all areas of diversity and they schedule which area they're talking about. You know, mm. at their meetings, and that, and if it's a smaller company, that would work. Yeah. Um, again, it comes down to what is it you're trying to achieve here. You know, whether you want to be single strand, multi strand, whatever. I, I don't really mind, mm. but I need to be clear about. Oh, okay. That. Oh, right. That's the outcome you're looking for. Oh, okay. Mm. I can understand mm. that. It's when that's fuzzy. I'm just that. Like, mm. sure. And in terms of outcomes, how do you feel about? Organisations who want their networks to deliver against the business outcomes. You know, they want it to be very much part the network's activity to be linked to the business's goals and helping them achieve. Yeah. Wholeheartedly for yeah. that. I, otherwise, I don't see. I, I mean, I say to networks, you know, your whatever it is you're doing has to be aligned with the organisational mm-hmm. goals. Because that's how you maintain sustainability. That's how you maintain visibility. And that's how you're, you know, you're consistently perceived as being relevant and necessary to the business. I, I'm, I'm also a little bit concerned, you know, with networks. They're going in one direction, and the organisation is going in a completely different direction. Mm. I'm like, okay, how how do you see this playing out? Mm. For me, what networks need to understand is that first and foremost, they're employees first, so they can't be in a network unless they're an employee. Mm-hmm. Therefore. If you're taking time away from other priorities to invest in the network, whatever you're doing has to have an outcome or a benefit to the organisation. Do you see what I mean? Yep, yep. So I'm always a little bit... There's alarm bells ring for me when (laughs) networks say to me that they don't agree with that. And I'm like, oh, okay. Really? So I'm always curious as to what they they Mm. see as, as, as their goal. So yeah, I'm all for alignment... Because I think it's it benefits the network as well as the organisation. Yeah, yeah. And I just try and keep it as simple as that. Yeah. How you get there, that's entirely up to you. But at the end of the day, I need to know this this event that you did has led to this outcome, mm. which benefits members and the organisation by X, Y, and Z. Mm. If you can't tell me that story, why are you doing the event? Mm. You see what I mean? Mm, so I, yeah. Am I, do I, I sound really harsh, don't I? I like it, firm line. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So we're kind of running out of time. We've got loads of more questions. But um, I think what probably most useful for, for people who are listening to this maybe is if you don't mind sharing an example of a really successful network, maybe one that's done a lot of these things that we've been talking about this morning. It's achieved some of these business outcomes and... Okay, so there isn't a network that's done everything. <laughs> um, so I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, okay, so for example, there's one... Um, uh, it was a, a network serving BAME staff, Black Asian Minority Ethnic staff, and it was an NHS trust. <clears throat> and as we know, um, NHS staff can face some verbal abuse from patients. And uh, one particular nurse suffered pretty badly at the... The, 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 the mouth from a patient mm. and it was lots of racist comments and so on and she was I think she she had her fill and that she just couldn't take anymore and she just walked away and she was a member another member of staff saw her weeping in the corridor and she explained what happened so they you know they said to HR you know what do we do in this situation and there wasn't anything really in place there was a policy in place so if patients had a complaint but nothing around staff who can mm. complain about patients so the network just sat together and said, OK, let's see if this has happened to anyone else, which I loved, firstly, because they didn't take on casework, which I'm against. So they said, has this happened to anyone else? And then they were flooded with so many people saying, yeah, this happens on a regular basis. And so they said, OK, we need to solve this number two thing that I like, because they immediately looked for a solution. And they came up with a plan that would not only benefit their members, but would benefit all staff, third thing that I like about it. And so they took this plan to HR, and HR said, you know what, this is great, let's implement it. And that's still in, that's still in place today, fourth thing I like about it. Yeah, sustainable. Can you see that? Mm. So it's when they, there's, a solu- there's a problem, they gather their evidence, they come up with a solution, and it's implemented successfully, and it's sustainable. Mm. So that's an example of a network that's really wielding some of its power, because it just uses its connections and its intelligence and its knowledge of the organisation to come up with a policy that wasn't there before. Another example is, um, and this is a global one, mm-hmm. but it's a great example of a small private um, organisation who... Uh, the network there had learnt that the organisation had awarded a particular contract to this uh, another group to deliver some services. And when they went out to their f- friends and families in the community, they all said, oh, do you know about this service? And they said, oh, yeah, but it's, you know, it, we can't use it. And they listed all these reasons why they couldn't use it. Had they gone to the network, the network would have told them from the outset. So the network said, well, hold on a second. If our community can't use it and it's for our community, why... Let's let's see what we can do. So they came together. They looked at all the figures. They they you know they they took on board the survey and the the comments from the the intended users. And they came up with another proposal. They submitted that to the team, and it turned out that they were saving the organisation something like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I'm like. Mm. Mm. therein lies mm. the power mm. and it was because they were connected with their community, they understood the product and they could immediately use their expertise to come up with another product. Now these are really individual things but it's about and when a network is focused on you know, helping the organisation be the best it can be, it thinks differently and it thinks strategically and um when I see when I see networks doing that, I'm just like a round of applause mm. because it's just so simple and practical. Both and of those practical, examples, very practical. Yeah. Everyone benefits. 
that for me, that's that. That's the bottom line. When a network gets it right for their members, everyone can benefit. And uh, imagine you've got networks. You've got ten networks in your organisation, making sure that everyone can benefit from what they're doing. It's going to be a great organisation. And if you're a CEO and you've got network, I would want to work. I would want that. Mm. So yeah. Mm. Fantastic. That's a brilliant place to leave it, actually. Yeah. That, that really does sum up the power of the Staff Network. <laughs> it does, and there's so much more. I could talk about I this know. forever, as you can imagine. But, yeah. but we'll, we'll make sure we link to your um, <coughs> Twitter page, your LinkedIn page, you. and so great. that people can get in touch with you, because yeah. obviously you work, this is, your, this is your thing, this is your space, so <laughs> um, anybody listening will be able to reach out to you and get further advice. Sure, absolutely. Um, and I'm convinced there are things that you and I could do together as well, so let's go and have a coffee and talk about those. But oh, for now... Thank you so much Thank for you. being on Reworked. Um, and we'll look forward to keeping in touch and, and seeing where the journey takes you next. That would be great. Thank you so much. I hope this episode gave you some ideas that you can replicate in your own organisation. We'd love it if you could leave a review and also subscribe to Reworked so you don't miss our next episode. Diversity and inclusion at work has never been higher up the agenda. The EW Group team includes learning and development specialists, facilitators, researchers and analysts, all with deep expertise in equality, diversity and inclusion. If you think we can help you rework your own culture, please get in touch.